0: Good morning, church. Good Good to be here with you this morning. As you know, throughout the month of August, we've focused on the theme of I Love My Church. And together, we've studied the scriptures from our Bible reading plan. And we've gathered for worship each week to hear a message on this theme. And we've been out there in the community showing love to people, serving people, and demonstrating God's love in real and tangible ways. And we've got one more great week ahead of us with lots more ways to continue serving. And let's face it, serving is our DNA. We do this 365 days a year, not just during one month of August. Well, over the last few weeks, we've learned that the church is made up of people who've been saved by God in order to partner with God and help carry out God's plan in the world. We've discovered that every single person in the body of Christ has gifts that are absolutely essential and needed to be used in order for the church to fulfill her mission. And we've come to know that the church is a family, that we are a part of God's family, And we seek to expand God's family by by inviting others to join us and become a part of God's family too. This week, we'll explore how the worldwide church is the hope of the world and why Jesus left us with that charge. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul writes that God's purpose all along was to use the church, and that's us, followers of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that God's plan all along was to use the church to demonstrate God to the world. Now, we can demonstrate God in lots of different ways. Sometimes we use words, and other times we use actions. Most times it's a combination of both words and actions. But we are the ones God has chosen to extend hope to the world. One of the scriptures that helps us understand this truth is found in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Hear these words. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, every day, we have lots of opportunities to demonstrate our faith in Christ. We can share a word of encouragement with someone who looks like they could really use a word of encouragement. We can ask someone if they have a need that we can pray for, We can even do an act of kindness for someone, perhaps without them even knowing that we've done it. Now, these acts are not something that we do because we have to do them. They're not something we do because we feel under compulsion to do them. No, Paul writes that we are to be prepared always and everywhere to give the reason for the hope we have. Did you hear that? Always and everywhere. I mean, that sounds like a daily thing to me. That sounds like an all the time kind of thing. It sounds like we're to go out in our community each day, keeping our eyes wide open for any opportunity that comes our way to share our hope with others. I mean, sharing is something we should look forward to doing eagerly. And Peter tells us that we should do this almost effortlessly. It should be natural. It should not be contrived. We are to share the reason for our hope gently and with respect for others wherever they ask, about our, if they ask about our faith, if they ask about why we live the way we live, if they ask about our Christian perspective on things. We are to share gently and respectfully with others who are non-believers. In the same way that Peter says a few verses earlier in verse 8 that we should live in harmony with each other, within the family of God, with our brothers and sisters, with compassion in the body of Christ. In this way, our words and our actions, our lifestyle, our witness will be above reproach. Now, other people might look at you and think that you're weird or even say that you're weird. They might say bad things about you and your actions, but Peter reminds us that you will have a clear conscience and they will eventually be ashamed of their slanderous words. You see, God has called the church to demonstrate his love for the world and the church is the only one who can do that. Why? Because we have something that no one else has. We have Jesus And as a church, we want to share Jesus with as many people as we can because there isn't any other place in the world where people can get Jesus. Not at school, not at work. No, the church is the only place. And so one of the questions we ask ourselves with every worship service we plan, with every Bible study scheduled, with every service project, with every activity that we do here at Anderson Hills, We ask, will this share Jesus with others? And will it help others grow in Jesus? And if it doesn't do that, then we're just wasting our time if we go ahead and do it anyway. Last September, we were together and we were evaluating how Backpack Sunday had gone and the party on the front lawn after the Sunday worship was over. And we began to realize that there are lots of other places where children can play in bouncy houses. And there are lots of other places where we can all go and eat snow cones and eat delicious fried food out of food trucks. And there are lots of other places where we can go and play games. But there is no other place other than the church where children can come and have their backpacks blessed by God and have their upcoming school year blessed by God. And that's why we decided to invest the money that we would have spent on another party out on the front lawn. And instead, we looked for lots of different ways, new ways to bless the people of our community throughout the whole month of August. And in most cases, we've taken Jesus out there right to where our neighbors already are, on the ball fields, in school buildings, at shelters, in food pantries, in the park. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes these words, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose purpose. Think about the difference that Jesus has made in your own life. How is your life different today because you know Jesus as your Lord? And what was your life like before you became a follower of Jesus? You see, when we start following him, we become part of his kingdom. Our primary citizenship changes from being of this earthly kingdom to being a citizen of heaven, and we become representatives of Christ, seeking to bring people back to Christ. And Paul uses the term ambassador in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. He writes these words, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You know, an ambassador is someone who acts as a representative of one nation while living within the boundaries of another nation. And an ambassador's role is to reflect the official position of the sovereign body that gave him or her that authority. And an ambassador forms relationships with the people of the other nation, so as to foster goodwill that then gives the ambassador a platform to work for the good of the nation that sent him. In a similar way, as Christians, we go through the world representing another kingdom. We represent Christ to the world, building relationships and seeking to gain a platform so we can share Christ with others. I remember when my family lived in Xenia, Ohio. My girls went to a Christian school there, and their mascot was the Ambassadors. And in the athletic arena, they sought to represent Christ in all that they said and did. They would pray with and for the opposing team before the games. Sometimes the other team would join them, and other times the other team would not. Either way was okay because like Peter said to do, they did it gently and with respect. And they demonstrated Christ with their actions of good sportsmanship. If they were victorious, they were good sportsmen. And if they weren't, they were good sports as well. So how can you be an ambassador for Christ in the places that God sends you? What can you share with the people that you meet? The church has something to offer that isn't available anywhere else. Jesus, who came to seek and to save the lost. And it's through him alone that we are able to experience a life of love and joy and peace and hope. And I think those are four things that we need desperately in our world today. And when I think about it, true, authentic love, joy, peace, and hope— only come from Jesus. I think much of the brokenness that we experience in our world today is because people don't feel loved and they seek love in all the wrong kinds of places. People feel unworthy to be loved and that feeling can lead to all kinds of harmful behaviors as we seek to fill the void that only the infinite unconditional come just the way you are love of Jesus can fill. Church, we know that we've been created in the image of God and that nothing we can ever do will make God love us any more than the infinite amount of love that God already has for us. And nothing we can ever do can cause us to lose God's love either. My friends, that is good news that the world is waiting to hear, good news that we can share with other people who are feeling unloved in our world, and that's one way that we can help others find what we have. We can also help others find the joy that we've found in Christ as well. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to be happy. That doesn't mean that we're never going to face disappointments or setbacks in our life. It does mean that we can still find joy in the face of these things. Author Leo Biscaglia tells the story about his mother and what has come to be known in their family as the misery dinner. (laughs) You see, it was the night after his father came home and said it looked as if he would have to file bankruptcy because his business partner had absconded with all of the firm's money. Well, his mother went out the next day and sold some jewelry so that she could buy food for a sumptuous feast. Other family members looked at her and they scolded her for it, but she told them the time for joy is now, now when we need it most, not next week. And her courageous act rallied the family and it helped them move forward through a difficult time. And that reminds me of a story that you can read about in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. You might remember the the people of Israel were weeping because they had found, they had rediscovered the book of the law that had been hidden away, lost in God's temple. And the priests were reading it to the people and they just became broken and they were crying. And Nehemiah tells the distraught crowd, no, go and celebrate with a feast of rich food and sweet drink and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. For this is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, we can help others find the joy of the Lord that we have. And peace is another thing that many people long for. Our world is filled with anxiety and stress, and it seems like a storm just swirls around us all of the time. Yet Paul wrote to the believers and told them how to face these kinds of things. He writes in the book of Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can share Jesus and help others find the peace that we have in Him. And we can also offer hope to others, helping them find what we have. Again, remember, Peter tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I think it's important to talk for just a minute about the word hope in the way it's used here. Because, you know, in English, a lot of times when we use the hope The word hope, we use it, and it means something like a desire or a wish or a dream. But those definitions miss the mark completely, the way the word hope is used in the Bible. In the Bible, the word hope is much more concrete. It means to expect good. And in the Christian sense, it means the joyful, confident expectation of eternal life. You see, Christians can talk about hope so concretely and with such confidence because of how faithful God is and because God always keeps his promises. I mean, when we sing the words like, my hope is built on nothing less, it's because of Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's because Christ is the solid rock upon which we can stand, that Christ's atoning work is finished. We can count on it. It's done. And it's that kind of already accomplished hope that we can share with others and help them find what we have. We are Christ's ambassadors. Christ has given us the great commission to go and make disciples in all the world. In Matthew 9, 35 to 38, we read, into his harvest field. My friends, we are the workers that Christ sends out into the fields to share with others, to build the kingdom of heaven, and to look for lost souls with whom we can share the gospel in word and deed. And from the very beginning of the church, followers of Jesus have been Christ's ambassadors sharing. We have been giving people hope and changing people's lives one by one by one, one person at a time, and it has literally changed the world. Back in the day of the Roman Empire, in which the first Christians lived, they were not especially known for taking care of people, especially vulnerable people. The value of human life wasn't very high. Unwanted children were often just left to die out in the open of exposure to the elements. Deformed babies were almost always abandoned. Children were more pro- girls were more tr- prone to be abandoned than boys. But in this cruel and inhuman culture, the early Christians went out to places where babies were abandoned and they took them into their own homes and raised them as their own. There were no hospitals in the ancient world. The elderly, the sick, the dying were also often abandoned. And poor, destitute families had little choice but to abandon the chronically ill to die. Christians began caring for people in prison. In the ancient world, a prisoner didn't get three square meals a day provided by the state. No, you relied on your family or friends to take care of your needs and to send food to the prison that you might need. And if you didn't have that, or if you couldn't afford that, you went without. The apologist Aristides reported that when Christians heard of anyone imprisoned, they all render aid in the person's necessity. And if the person can be redeemed, they set him or her free. They set the slaves free. You see, Christianity was radically different Because the Bible teaches an intrinsic value of every human being and that's what motivated the early Christians to begin caring for the sick and the dying and unwanted infants. Church leaders started visiting the sick and then churches put some formal practices in place to take care of people. Today many things have changed and the church cares for babies and for sick people and for prisoners and so much more. But there is still so much work to be done in our own culture today, in our own world today. The least and the last and the lost and the vulnerable are still at great risk. There is still not a great value on human life all the time. There are still so many people who are vulnerable and broken and who need love. They need Jesus. You are Ambassadors for Christ, wherever God sends you. In your home, as you raise up little ones. With your neighbors on your street who don't yet know Jesus. At your school, where you work. In the restaurants, in the coffee shops, the bars, salons, and health clubs, where you work out, wherever you go. Even out on the streets where you meet people you don't know. Perfect strangers. You are Christ's ambassadors. The church is the hope of the world because we have Jesus to share. And we must never be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I want you to hear how two members of our own church took to heart Jesus' call to be the hope of the world. They weren't ashamed of the gospel, and they gave the reason for the hope that they have take a look
1: it was a saturday in august of 2017 and my family was scheduled to to, to get together with the davis family that night with trent and kayla and their family when trent called me that afternoon and told me that he had to cancel Uh, apparently he had met a homeless person downtown uh, that day while they were down at the banks and he was taking him supplies
2: and i'd noticed a guy sitting on a rock reading a book and i just felt a prompting to have discussion with him. And so I walked over and I talked to him about the book and, um, we started a conversation and he had mentioned to me, um, uh, that, uh, he, he lived around the city there in a tent and that he was homeless. And soon after my wife had signaled that it was time to go and I started walking away and I just started to feel the Holy Spirit start to talk to me and say, you need to go back. And I ignored it and I kept walking and we'd gotten really far out of the park by now. And, that was enough i just um needed to go back i just prayed for him there on the spot and we both cried um put just put my hand on his shoulder and he's sitting there on the same rock and um and he shared with me that living in the tent was hard and ran back home and started running through the store like a madman i knew we had plans that night with our our friends for dinner and um told Kayla that I wasn't going to be able to make it, and so I was going to go downtown and take a duffel bag of supplies to Jamie. And so we went back
1: down there that night. We met him at the yard house around 8 o'clock that evening, and um, just gave him the supplies and loved on him and hugged him. Um, we prayed with him and just wished him the best. Well, the following Tuesday, I was at work. I worked downtown, um, and I knew that he was homeless. Um, and I thought during my lunch break, maybe I'd go out and look for him. And the Lord actually led me directly to where he was sitting um, outside of Penn Station. And so um, I grabbed him and I asked him if he wanted to go to lunch that day. And he was actually holding up a sign and uh, flying, as they call it. Um, I think I prayed with him again and just blessed him and wished him well. And that started a relationship with, uh, with me and Jamie and with Trent. Um, so we would go down regularly downtown and check up on him and, and try to do whatever we could to help him, to give him encouragement, to give him guidance and counsel. And uh, he ended up getting a job. So we were really excited, right, because we've tried before to pour into people and it, it you know never worked out. But this one seemed to have so much hope that this man could actually turn his life around and then over the next couple months, it was just a series of jobs uh, that came and went. He worked at Amazon in the factory. He got a job in an Airheads factory. Um, so the jobs just seemed to come and go, and and things just never really panned out to a point where he could make it uh, to a stable point in his life. Then in April, uh, April 13th, Friday, April 13th, I went out on my lunch break and unbeknownst to me, I saw him uh, holding his sign up again, that he was he was still out in the streets and. The job, the most recent job that he had, um, hadn't worked out. And uh, there's something that just rises up in my spirit and has had enough. And so I asked Jamie if I can pray over him and I just start praying. And my spirit just rose up and I'm proclaiming out in the streets of downtown Cincinnati favor over his life and that something would shift and change. And I remember after the prayer, I looked at Jamie and I said, did you feel that? I said, something just shifted in your life. It changes today. Well, the very next day, Saturday, April 14th, Jamie was arrested and come to find out that the entire story that he had told us was a lie. Um, He had never interviewed for a job, he never had a job. He wasn't on the streets for six months in a tough spot, he was on the streets for over six years and most of the money that we gave him was used to buy heroin to feed his addiction. Typically in the past, I think I would have been very offended by that, that that somebody had tried to lie and and take advantage of. But because of just the, the, the presence of the Lord, all I could feel was God's heart towards Jamie. I wasn't offended by anything he did. I wasn't offended by his lying, his cheating, his stealing, his drug use. I wasn't offended by any of it. All I could feel was God's heart for him. And so I felt the Lord told me to go to jail and visit with him. Um, And so I did. It was May 1st, a couple weeks after he was arrested. I'm just praying. I'm saying, God, what do I say to Jamie? What do I say to this man? And I hear very clearly in my head, I want you to tell him that he has value. And so I wait in jail. Um, I go in and I didn't know what to expect, but it's exactly like what you see in the movies. There's a screen and there's phones on both sides. And so he comes up and uh, he sits down in the chair and he looks at me and he says, what are you doing here? And I looked him straight in the eye, and I said, God told me to come here and tell you that you have value. And he started breaking down and crying because I think he just felt the Lord's forgiveness. And so he just came clean and started repenting and telling me all the things that he had done wrong. And I stopped him in the middle of it. And I told him, you're forgiven. God's forgiven you. It's all done. It's all passed. Give your life to the Lord. So he was in jail for about two months. Um, And then he was released um, into a rehab program, and um, we continued to maintain touch. And then in February of this year, um, he gave his life to the Lord and was baptized. And now he's over a year clean. Um, He's got two jobs, he's steady, he's got a house, Um, he's restored relationships, he's cleaned up all of his criminal offenses, and he's on a new trajectory, he's a new man.
3: i was honest with him i told him i used his money for heroin that i'm a heroin addict and um you know and i and he doesn't know this but i've shared to many people that his this man's expression didn't change one time he didn't get angry he didn't he didn't change one time and we had a nice conversation and on top of that after i told him i used all his money for heroin he actually uh, put money in my book so i could get some better food and um uh, and that meant a lot. There is no lost causes. I'm a miracle, you know. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that I'm a miracle. Within the first few days, I, I surrendered, and um, that's when I feel like my God, my my eyes were opened up. God is the answer. Um, he's been my answer and uh, I didn't want to believe it at first you know I fought a tooth and nail for lots and lots of years Um, but uh, like I said I lay my head down at night knowing that I'm at peace with my creator and I can never repay God back these guys back Um, but what I can do it's by my actions in the future, help somebody else. And every day I ask for his will. And I believe that's what it is. Because um, this is real.
0: Those words are powerful that Jamie speaks at the end. This is real. It is real. The power of the gospel is what brings salvation to everyone who believes. And every believer can be set free from all kinds of strongholds and find freedom in Jesus. As we sing our closing song today, I want you to think about the words that you're singing. And if you've never placed your hope in Jesus, if you've never trusted in his blood sacrifice to wash away your sins and make you brand new, then sing those words as a prayer to him, surrendering your life to his lordship. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and if you're anything like me, you probably felt challenged to live out your call to discipleship a little more radically more ready than ever to seek out the least and the last and the lost, whomever and wherever they might be. After the benediction this morning, you'll be invited to come forward and pray with one of several prayer partners who would love to pray with you. And if you've made a first-time surrender to Jesus today, let one of them know so that we can celebrate with you and so that we can help you take your next step with Christ. And if you're ready to live more radically, let one of them pray for you too, for boldness and for power. And as you heard, maybe for patience and to love like Jesus loves. Will you pray with me now? Oh God, thank you for sending Jesus to save us from our sins. Thank you for his example for us to follow and for the examples of his followers down through the ages, including today. Stir up a burning desire in your church and send us forth to be your ambassadors telling everyone we meet that Jesus is the hope of the world. And all God's people said, Amen.